And I say, my notes open, normally I'm already back there to get going. And so we'll get there in just a second. Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians 3. And today we're going to be down to verse number 14. Ephesians 3. And we'll go down to verse number 14 and see what the Bible has to say today as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 3. We're almost there. Galatians. Ephesians, there we go, chapter 3, verse number 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Just those two verses this morning. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Father, I pray bless the next few minutes that we have here together. We love you and we need you. Thank you for our church, and I pray that this morning you bless the message and do a work that only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've been going through the book of Ephesians now since August. Some of you might notice, like, Pastor, you skipped a few verses there. I'm going to re- go back and talk about them for a minute here as we dive into these two verses today. What we're doing is, the book of Ephesians, by the end of the year, we're going to be done with chapter number three. When we get to the end of the year, we have a new theme for the year. I'm not going to tell you that thing. We've got to wait a few more weeks to see what it is. Um, we're going to our 50th year of the church. And so I praise God for that. And then it will be a part because up in the early 10 years, so one-fifth of that time. And then it will be here. Praise God for that. But our theme has to do with something that will help strengthen us as a body of believers. And I'm going to take the first 12, 13 weeks of the new year and I'm going to preach on one subject. There's a phrase in the Bible that's mentioned over and over again. I'm going to show you different points about that. And that's going to be on Sunday mornings where we go. You're like, well, what happens to Ephesians? We're only halfway through. On Wednesday nights, I'm going to finish up the book of Ephesians. We're going to go to chapter number four after the first year on Wednesday nights. And so I'll just continue on for the rest of the Ephesians. And probably, probably be June or so by the time we're done with Ephesians once all said and done. And so but that's just going to move to Wednesday nights. And Sunday nights, we'll continue doing the books of the Bible. This upcoming Wednesday night, the next two Wednesday nights, we're leading up to Christmas, and the message will be themed around Christmas on Wednesday night. So if, if you want to hear that, be here for that, as well as December 22nd, that Sunday morning and night, we'll take a break from Ephesians and from the books of the Bible, and there'll be a Christmas message on both of those morning and evening on the 22nd. And so that's it. Let's look at our Bibles this morning. We'll dive right in. How's the temperature? Warm. I feel, I feel warm. I feel like is it a little warm or is it fine? Who's warm? I, I, we'll do one degree, okay? One degree. You say, does one degree make that big of a difference? I say that because some of you uh, some of you that are cold, okay, let's just see. Is there, is there anyone cold in the room this morning? Anybody? Rebecca, are you cold this morning? You're perfect, so it is too warm. We know that. Because normally Rebecca's always cold, so... Peter's always tired, Rebecca's always cold. So, and uh, so one degree, so hopefully it won't mess up the perfectness. And Peter's keep blowing all that hot air over there, and we'll be fine. So, we look here today, I want to go back to verse number eight. I want to show you the few things that we're just passing through because it's more repeating all of what we've heard over and over again at this point. Look at verse number eight. Paul says, Unto me, whom the least, who's, who am less than the least of all saints. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? And Paul's saying here, he's talking about the fact that who is he in God's eyes? And humility. 
And Christian, don't ever get to the point in your life where you think you've arrived and you are God's gift for anything. So at the end of the day, none of us are a gift to God. He's a gift to us. Amen. And by the grace of God, we are what we are. Nothing that we do. It's his grace and his mercy. Because we just get in trouble. We cause God grief. Even at our best, we still don't measure up. But thank God he loves us. And thank God for, you see it says there, that Paul gets to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So what are the unsearchable riches of Christ? First off, you see how that word unsearchable is there? The word unsearchable means bottomless. You know how we read before, as we've been saying here in Ephesians, that we're not going to fully understand everything until we're there with him? Then we're going to understand? We'll never understand the bottomless riches of Christ, but I'll give you some of the riches of Christ when I think about this morning. We're loved by God. You are loved by God. We are his chosen people. He chose us before the foundations of the world. We're saved by the blood of his precious son. We're saved eternally. That means no one can take that away. No man can pluck you out of his hand. Praise God for that this morning. You were part of his body, the body of Christ. We're seated with Jesus in heavenly places right now, the Bible tells us. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Those are some of the unsearchable riches of Christ. We are so rich. Yet many Christians live so poor. We have so much that's been given to us today. That's just a small sampling of the unsearchable riches. Look what else Paul says here. He says that he's been given this to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world was hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ from the beginning. Before, Remember how in the book of Revelation it says the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world? God had a plan and a mystery that was hidden in him before time even began. No one in heaven knew. No one knew. Look what it says in verse number 10. It says, To the intent that now in the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. You say, well, what in the world does all of that mean? Well, talk about principalities and powers in heavenly places. Those are the angels of heaven. That's what it's talking about. Because we talk about the, um, the principalities and powers here on earth. We talk about those things. In heaven, it's talking about the angels there. And the angels didn't even know what God was going to do. And God, you see what's happening? You look there in that verse that the church is showing the angels in heaven the wisdom of God and how God just knew what to do. We are a part of that plan. We're a part of that. It says, according to the divine, to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access of confidence by faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And Paul just reminds them of these things over and over again. And you think about this. Just as the other night, we were sitting up high in a balcony watching the symphony. The symphony was on display for us. Right now, the angels are in the audience watching the church. A display of God's wisdom. And they're understanding what's taking place. Pretty powerful when you stop to think about it. How all that works. And Paul says in verse number 14, this is where we get into the message today, for this cause, 
I bow my knees unto the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We see that Paul is getting ready to pray a prayer for the saints at Ephesus. We see Paul's pattern of prayer. I want to talk about prayer for a little bit this morning. I hope that if you're a saved child of God, which looking around the room, we have no visitors. I believe everyone sitting in this room claims to be a child of God and saved. I would hope that you're a person of prayer. I hope that you would take time daily to fall at your master's feet and spend time in worship and in prayer before him. And if you don't, I'd like you to set your mind on things this morning and get some priorities straight in your life. Prayer needs to be a priority in the life of God's people. Prayer needs to be a priority in the life of God's people. If you are a praying person, you know the difficulties that are associated with praying. If prayer was easy, guess what? Everybody would do it. Prayer is not easy. You say, well, why is prayer not easy? Our flesh doesn't like it. That's why we can start praying, and a few minutes later, our minds wander off on something. Has that ever happened to you? Let's be honest this morning. How many of you say, I, sometimes when I pray, my mind goes all over the place. Raise your hand. My hand's up. Yes, it happens. And that's and sometimes maybe I'll teach on a little bit more. One of the things that I do, I, and I've talked about before, praying through a night or different things, I do not pray six hours straight with constant prayer because my mind will be gone every other second. You have to pray, get in the Word of God and read some, pray some more, you have to keep your focus where it needs to be. Because our flesh doesn't like it. Our flesh likes to, you know, our flesh is hard for our flesh. Have you ever found yourself, you know, you're just way off on That's how the human race is. Short-minded people who are easily distracted. And even the best minds in the room are still short-minded. So some of us don't have much of a mind. That makes it even worse for us. But we see as we look here, as we get to this this morning, I want you to understand, we've seen Paul as a prisoner, we've seen Paul as a pioneer preacher, and today we're seeing Paul as a prayer warrior. And I want to talk to you about how Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, and in extension, he also prayed for you and I. As we look at this, I want you to see the petition that Paul makes for the church, and there are some lessons about prayer that we can pick up on. Number one this morning, we see in our text, we see Paul's passion in his prayer. Paul begins here his prayer for the saints. He says, for this cause. The word cause means reason or from the pleasure of. And Paul's speaking of everything he's talked about from chapter 1 till here we get verse number 13 of chapter number 3. says, for this cause, I fall on my knees. I get on my knees. As Paul begins here, that's what he's talking about. So you know, what caused Paul to fall on his knees before God? Well, the fact in chapter number one that God's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heaven, in heavenly places in Christ, and that we're fellow heirs along with the Jews and in the body of Christ, the church. Chapter one talks about how before we are chosen before the foundation of the world. Chapter two talks about how when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that God reached out to us. Talks to us how God loved us in spite of our wickedness, in spite of our depravity. He saved us by his grace. He made us his children. He reached out to us and were separated by sin and broke down that wall. He saved us, adopted us into his family, and Paul says, for this cause. 
For this cause I bow my knees. When we stop to consider all that the Lord has done to save us and to change our lives, it should motivate us to pray. If God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, and saved us by his grace, adopted us into his family, we should have a desire to spend time with God. Our passion for him should drive us to him. Most Christians don't have a passion for God because they don't realize all that the Lord has done for them. Some thoughts on prayer this morning. First one is this, prayer is a command. The Bible tells us in Luke 18, verse number 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end that men are always to pray and not to faint. First Thessalonians 5 17, pray without ceasing. We see the Bible commands us to pray. Say, why does the Bible command us to do it? Because naturally we don't do it. That's why. Prayer is a command, but prayer is also a duty. There are things that we need to pray for. There are things that please our Heavenly Father when we do them. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for all, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Look verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior? That we pray. See verse number two, pray for kings. You pray for your president? You pray for your governor? You pray for your mayor? You pray for your congressman? You pray for your senator? Like Washington's a mess. God's people complain and don't pray. You pray for your police officers, their safety. You pray for all that are in authority, your boss. Yeah, I pray my boss is nice to me. That's not quite the prayer I'm talking about. <coughs> this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. It's a duty, it's our duty. You see, next. The prayer is a gift. We've been given a gift from God to pray. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 4, it says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. The Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The prayer is a gift from God. Jesus knew what we needed. He's been touched with our infirmities. He knew what we need. He gave us the wonderful gift of prayer. Prayer is also a privilege. Prayer is a privilege. We can take our thoughts to the Lord and our prayers to God. The Bible says in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving like a request. Be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's a privilege to be able to pray. We can come to our Heavenly Father and talk to Him. Do you realize something? Can you think of one time in the Old Testament where anybody prayed and called God Father? 
Not once. First time we hear Father mention of her is Jesus. He says, Our Father. We can go to our Father today because of what Jesus Christ did. Amen. We have the privilege of going. Not the right, the privilege. We have no rights. We have the privilege because of what God's dear Son did for us. The privilege. Prayer is also a promise. So many promises on prayer in the scriptures. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Isaiah 65, 24, And shall come to pass that before they call I will answer and while they are yet speaking I will hear. John 16, 23, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. And Christian, this morning we must, we must make prayer a priority in our lives. We must make much about prayer. We must spend time in prayer. Prayer is important. Make prayer a priority in your Christian life. Hey, we need to make prayer a priority in our church. In the past, we've had prayer meetings, and prayer meetings, I have them. And you say, why do we have more prayer meetings? Because people don't show up. Why? Why have a prayer meeting when no one shows up? I pray here already. I'll continue to pray. It's more embarrassing to go before God with just myself when there's no one else in church here. When we end, we say there was always another few people show up here and there. But we, we schedule a prayer meeting. We want God's power. We want God to work in this place. And then we can't go to prayer. We changed our Wednesday nights to where prayer is early on Wednesday night. We have four people this last week at 610. And I know some of you barely get off work and you barely get here. I totally get it. I'm just grateful you're here. The prayer needs to become a priority. It needs to be important. How is God going to do anything if we're not praying? We miss out on the power of God. We need to make prayer a priority. Number two this morning, we see Paul's posture in his prayer. Posture. I've heard many a sermon about how you should always go before God on your knees. I've heard that over and over again. That's not exactly what all the Bible said. I'm going to give you some help in that area this morning. You see there in verse number 14, it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that Paul knelt here, right? You see that there? Bowing the knees is very common for us today. We do it. But for a man of Paul's heritage and the Jews... It was not a custom thing for them. They stood. And even today, you go to Israel and you see them here, the wall, the, the, the western the wall there. They will, they stand in prayer and they don't want to hold their palm. That's how they pray. It's been a custom that they've had for a long time. Are you saying that that's the only way to pray? No, I'm not. I'm just saying that's how they did it. This was not a customary thing that Paul would be on his knees. But you say, well, and I want you to understand throughout the Bible, people prayed lots of different ways. Abraham stood up. Bible talks about in Genesis 18, verse 22, 23. It says then in verse 22, But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous without with the wicked? It's talking about Lot there, but Abraham he stood before God. You also have David. David sat before God. I've heard whole messages on how you shouldn't sit when you're praying. And yet David did. You say, Pastor, are you sure? Yeah, let's look. First Chronicles 17, 16. And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hither to? David prayed sitting. We also see that Jesus, not only did he, not, he, he kneel, but he stretched out. 
Bible says in Matthew 26, 39, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. In the Bible, you see people get on their knees, and when they do, it's in times of extreme humility or in times of extreme distress in their life. That's the times that they would kneel before God. Now, you think about it. Ezra. Bible talks about Ezra knelt when he confessed the sins of the people. Ezra chapter 9, verse 5 and 6 tell us that the evening sacrifices, Ezra speaking, I rose up from my heaviness, and having wrapped my garments and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, O oh my God, I'm ashamed and blessed to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespasses grown up under the heavens. Daniel, when he knew the decree that the king made, he still knelt when he prayed. I'll talk about in Daniel chapter number 6, verse number 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went to his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he knelt upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did a four time. I know some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, I pray just like Daniel. I pray three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's not what I was talking about here. And how many of us, to say some little vain little prayer that we always pray when it's time to eat, do we really take time to think when we pray? And even those prayers, there should be meaning behind them when we say them. There should never be an empty prayer made to God. Amen. You're like, but I just want to eat. Do it right or just don't do it at all. Think about Paul. Paul knelt with the elders from Ephesus before he departed in Acts 20, verse number 36. And when he had thus spoken, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Solomon, when the, at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 13 says, For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long and five cubits broad and three cubits high, and had set in the midst of the court, and upon it he, and upon it he stood and knelt down, upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands towards heaven. Verse 14 says, And said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven or on earth which keepeth covenants and shows mercy to thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. We see, kneeling in prayer shows two truths. I'm going to give those to you. First one is the sign of submission to the one who is far greater than we are. When we bow before the Lord, we're acknowledging his glory, his power, his authority in our lives. We bow in prayer before him because we understand that his, who he is, is far greater than who we are. Bowing before the Lord in prayer is a sign of humility and submission to God. And it also is a sign of intense passion and emotion. Now, a lot of times we don't like to talk about passion and emotion. As Baptists, we don't like the word feelings or emotions. But God gave us feelings and emotions. Right. There should be a passion for the Lord. Now, the problem we have as Baptists are, is, is not our, is the fact that we lack balance. There needs to be a passion. There needs to be emotion and feeling. But you cannot get too hyped on the feelings and emotions because we all know our feelings one moment and you ladies understand this better, better than us men in this room one minute the feelings can be really good 
And the, your feelings can change very quickly. It just depends on what your husband does in that moment. <laughs> Someone got into that uh, right there. So you can't always, you can't rest on your feelings and judge things by your feelings. But having feelings and emotions before God, there is nothing wrong with that. And we like to say, oh, well, they're just showing. How do you know what someone's doing? You know, in Baptist Church, when I want us to stand like this, is they say, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. They raise hands to God. I see sometimes someone will raise their hand, they're praising God during a song that almost your focus, there's nothing wrong with it. That's good. That's a good thing. It's good to show some emotion. Someone's at the altar and they're crying. They just hurry up and ready to go home. <laughs> emotion is a good thing. But there has to be a balance with it. But what I want to understand is this. When Paul thought about what the Lord has done, all the great truths that he talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 3 here, what did he do? He fell before God. He was overwhelmed with emotion towards God. One thing I want you to remember, too, you say, oh, Pastor, what is the right posture in prayer? Are you ready? I don't believe God's concerned with how you pray, what posture you're in. But I will tell you this. I don't think, as I said, he cares if you're kneeling, standing, laying down, walking, or whatever. God's concerned about the posture of your heart when you come before him. And it needs to be in humility. When we looked at in 1 Peter chapter 5 a couple weeks ago and saw that there. Whether we kneel physically or not, we should be kneeling before him and acknowledging his glory in our hearts. His greatness, his wonder. And Paul worshipped him. Hey Christian, when's the last time you read scripture? And it just reach your knees in humility and awe and wonder and worship of God. Sometimes a song might be played and you hear those words and you know just this morning think about that song, His Mercy is More. The song could drive me to my knees very easy. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. When's the last time you've been driven to your knees and worship of Him? That's what Paul's saying here. For this cause, man, because of all that the Lord has done. Get on my knees. God, thank you. Wow. When's the last time you just spent some time worshiping him? Don't worry so much about the position of your body. Be more concerned about the posture of your heart. That it's in the right spot. See, number one, Paul's passion is prayer. Number two, we see Paul's posture in his prayer. Number three, and lastly this morning, we see Paul's purpose in his prayer. Paul's purpose in his prayer. He says, for this cause I bow my knees. Under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Paul takes a moment at the beginning of his prayer to remind us again of all that we have in Jesus Christ. The word Father that's used here is translated from a word pattern, which speaks of the generator or the male ancestor of a family line. So the word picture here is God as the one who started a new family through his son, Jesus Christ. The word family translated from the word patria, which means all those who in a given people lay down to a common origin, those who share a common lineage or history. And it reminds us that all of us who are in Jesus Christ are in the same family. So if you're saved today, I know I'm saved, but if you're saved today, we're family. 
I might be that one you don't want to spend time with, but we're still family. <laughs> that's what the Bible says. Praise God for the family of God. And that's why I've been singing a song, I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. See, our world, though, has adopted the wrong philosophy when it comes to things. Our world likes to say that all of us are children of God. That is not Bible. What does the Bible say? Shouldn't we get from the Bible what we believe? Yeah, I believe so. Well, the Bible makes it clear one group is from Satan and one group <coughs> is from God. John 8, 44, you have your father, the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. So you have some that have the father of the devil and then you also have those who are sons of your father is God. I'll talk about 1 John 3, verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Verse number 2. Beloved, now, now, after salvation, now are we the sons of God. And if not yet appear, we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is. You see, one group is the children of Satan. One group are the children of God. And there's a way to tell the difference between the two. Are you ready? The Bible tells us in 1 John 3, verse number 10, In this the children of God are manifested, and the children of the devil. So you see, there are two groups of people. Right? We are not all the children of God. That's not Bible. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. So, well, what was I before I got saved? A child of the devil. Mm -hmm. Pastor, I just don't know. So you trust what you want to and I'll just trust what God says. It says, whatever, or whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. You see, if you're in the family, as you look at Paul as he starts the prayer here, you see you're part of it. He says there in verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Do you realize there's some precious thoughts that come out of that passage there? Do you realize our family, spiritual family, is located in two places right now? In heaven and here on earth. Not all the families together. Our loved ones, those who have passed, that are with the Lord, they're with Him. And we're down here still serving the Lord. We're the same family. And praise God for that this morning. You see, our family shares a common name. God's adopted us and placed us into His family. We're all sons and daughters of God, God those who are saved. We share a common redemption, those in heaven or those that are here on earth. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb. Our family has a common love, whether in heaven or on earth. God loves all of his children equally. There is, he does not love one. There's no favorites with God. We're all equal in his eyes. Our family shares a common nature. Those in heaven will lay down their bodies. Those of us who are here will one day join them. And when we leave here, we'll be with the Lord forever. We share a common worship. You know what they're doing while they're with the Lord right now? What our loved ones are doing? They're worshiping Him. Mm -hmm. 
What have we been doing this morning? Worshiping. We share a common body. The body of Christ is one body. I know a lot of people don't like to hear that either, but it's the Bible. And someday it's going to be complete. Our family is in is one in joy. In heaven they're in joy over the grace of God. Here on earth we're in joy over the grace of God. And our family has a common destiny. Someday we will be home. Amen. Can't wait for that day to go home. I mentioned on Wednesday night, I remember um, back in June, we were, since pastoring here, the parsonage was our home. All four of our kids were born there. And uh, I thought when they were moving things out, I was all excited. And then towards the end of that, for, as we're getting ready to put the last thing, I'm thinking to myself, is this place going to feel like home? It did right away. I've been over to the parsonage. Number one is a big bearded man that walks out of that house. So that's not my home anymore. I know that. And then there's a bearded. Oh no, she's not bearded. Never mind. I'm just teasing about the, the side afternoon shadow. I'm just teasing Lori. But um, I walked in the house. They didn't put, put the Christmas. They didn't put the Christmas tree where we always put the Christmas tree. It belongs in the window so everyone can see it from the outside. Why do you guys put it on the other side where no one can see it? Then you guys always keep the blinds closed. You can't even see what's going on in the house at all. We have the blinds open. You know, the lights, I, the Christmas lights, you can put any on the trees. You should put them on the trees too. That's what happens in that house. No, it's not our home. The house didn't make the home. Our family makes the home. And it just felt right. We've never been in heaven. But when we get there, it's going to feel just like home. That's where our family is. Amen. That's where our father is. And what a day that's going to be. Can't wait for that day. How wonderful it's going to be. The reunion we get to have with our loved ones have gone on before us. That's what we get. This morning as we close, Personal important. The man, a preacher by the name of Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman, was called as a young man to become a pastor of a large church in Philadelphia. And after his first sermon, an older gentleman came up to him and said, You're pretty young to be a pastor of this church, but you preach the gospel, and I'm going to help you all I can. And I know his thoughts are pride. Sure, what's he going to say now? He says, Normally, when people tell you they're going to help you all you can, the first thing that they do is they want to tell you what to change to help you. They don't really want to do anything. They just want to tell you what to change. Anyway, so the man continued this way. He said to him, I'm going to pray for you, that you'll have the Holy Spirit's power upon you. Two others have covenanted to join with me in prayer for you. Dr. Chapman said, I didn't feel so bad when I learned that he was going to pray for me. The three of them became 10. The 10 became 20. The 20 became 50. The 50 became 200 who met before every service to pray that the Holy Spirit might come upon me. I always went into the pulpit feeling that I would have the anointing and answer to the prayers of those who faithfully prayed for me. It was a joy to preach. The result was we received 1,100 into our church by conversion in three years. 600 of whom were men. It was the fruit of the Holy Spirit in answer to prayer. Prayer works. We close this morning. How's your prayer life? 
You have one? You spend time talking to God every day? Is there room for improvement? You know, I wonder, I'm not gonna even, I don't know in this room who's the best programmer. I'm probably gonna say there's probably some better than me in this room, because I'm not very good. I pray, I got a lot of room to work in my prayer life. And I've been working and I continue to work. There's a lot of room for improvement. How's your prayer life today? Are you motivated with a passion for God? I don't know what the Lord spoke to you about this morning. Maybe you just need to come pray this morning. Remember, come this morning, come kneel before him. Sit on the front row. I don't suggest laying down on this floor. I don't know if any of you get back up afterwards. <laughs> so talk to God. When you come stand, come talk to him. A Christian, if you got nothing, and I know when I could go a week later and ask people if they remember anything from my sermon, and I'd probably be very disappointed most of the time. But there's one thing to remember this morning. Make prayer a priority in your life. Get in love with God. Have a passion for Him. When you think about all He's done, it's going to drive you to your knees. Have a prayer life. It's so important. So many Christians miss out on so much in the Christian life because of two things. Number one, they don't understand what they have in the Lord. And number two, they don't pray. And those go hand in hand. And reading your Bible doesn't do you a lot of good if there's not prayer involved with it. They go together. Let's work on it. Let's be people of prayer. And next week we'll see what else goes into that prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for the time that we've had this morning. Thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the many passages of Scripture this morning. Thank you for salvation. The fact that I can be your child. Thank you for that. Thank you for that wonderful privilege. Pray bless our invitation today. Pray that there's someone not saved this morning, that they would get that figured out, that they would get saved. And Father, that you would be convicting their heart of their need for you for salvation. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.